Hello, I'm Rabbi Iggy, and welcome to Tattoos and Torah. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tattoos and Torah. I'm Rabbi Iggy out of the Shuva Center. Thank you for joining us. So looking at oneself, warts and all, our best self, of course, um, our divine self, um, also has a different side. In Aramaic, we call it sitra achra, a term meaning the other side, the shadow side, the darker side, if you will, the companion side. If we have Torah, good, God, light, higher self, best self, we also, of course, have, um, like in all aspects of life, the sitra achra, the other side of it. So, yes, I want to talk about that and what we would call shadow work. This is a Jungian term, a Jungian idea that has well filtrated into what I believe is an essential part of creating more peace within ourselves, more equanimity within ourselves, something that helps us enhance our growth, something that is essential for our recovery and our growing in our recovery. Um, this fosters integration from the splits that we have uh, in our mind and in ourselves and helps us make meaning in our life. The shadow, if you will, is always there, of course, uh, right next to us, a result, of course, of our existence and light. This shadow, used in psychological terms, stands for everything we can't always see in ourselves, if you will, a blind spot, parts of ourselves that are, in many cases, in direct proportion to our light self, our visible and known self, those shadows that we don't really see are sometimes unflattering, of course, uh, unfamiliar many times, sometimes traumatic, but very often a force in us that generates a great deal um, of uh, movement towards our behaviors. That is, it generates a lot of our behaviors. It generates a lot of our pain, our actions, um, many of our poor behaviors, of course. Uh, Jung also, of course, said the brighter the light, the darker the shadow, if you will. So this shadow work is really a key to living with more authenticity, more meaning, more recovery, more creativity, and definitely more equanimity. Doing shadow work brings all of these uh, elements into more focus and have greater strength, and we have to do shadow work in order to be able to heal the self. Um, so the shadow self is made up of a few things. Um, and I think you should think of these things in yourself that you try to usually avoid thinking about. Um, things that you think are not okay, things that you look down on, things that you think are bad, evil, etc. Parts of us that bring us shame, uh, parts of us that sort of motivate poor choices, bad decisions uh, that we've done in the past or doing now. Um, we should think of things that, uh, of course, make us feel guilty about things we've done, uh, maybe hurting others, loved ones, ourselves. Shame and guilt plays a large part in exploring shadow work. The shadow self, of course, is also the parts that we would like to disown, things that we would like to change in ourselves or things we would like to throw out, uh, elements in us that we don't want to have, uh, qualities and values that we don't think we should have. Um, and when we are not able to do that because we can't just like take them out of ourselves, um, we repress them. They get repressed and we attempt to bury them uh, or put them in a dark place, if you will, uh, where we can ignore them. Uh, that way we may think that they are gone. But of course, 
they are not gone. <laughs> they are just there. And the common knowledge tells us, right, uh, that that we repress will oppress us. Um, they have a lot of force, perhaps even more force, um, when we repress them, when we put them in the shadow. And by exploring them, we're able to sort of take away some of the bite and we're able to explore them and understand why we do the things we do. And in fact, that's the integration. When we do that, when we repress it, we not only give our shadow self more power, uh, like we just said, um, but we start to project onto others these things that we don't like about ourselves. We see in others objectionable qualities that remind us of the ones in ourselves that we try, of course, to repress, to deny, to not have, quote-unquote. It is clear that this part of ourselves operates on its own in many ways, and different to different degrees of awareness rise up in different times, but for the most part, we are deeply influenced by this shadow, whether we like it or not, and how it affects us and our behaviors and our relationships. This idea, like I said in the beginning, is deeply rooted, of course, also in our spiritual traditions uh, uh, and in other aspects as well of, of spiritual traditions. So, for example, in the Midrash, there's a Midrash that clues us uh, into this idea um, in a piece that talks about this thing we call the Yetzer. The Yetzer, right, is our creative a rejuvenating force. Uh, it is often translated as an inclination, uh, a piece of us that sort of talks to us, a voice in our head. Um, and it is a force that moves us uh, daily. Um, this, this great piece of, of Midrash uh, says the following. Rabbi Nachman said in Rabbi Shmuel's name, Behold, it was good, refers to the good desire. And behold, it was very good, refers to the evil desire. So we're talking about Genesis, the creation of the world, the proclamation that God has at the end of each day when everything that needed to be achieved got achieved. Some days God said it was good, this was good. Some days it says this was very good. Uh, on Tuesday, for example, he says it was good twice. So here we have a saying, very old, uh, a couple thousand years old from this Midrash, that says right, that when we talk about this was good, God refers to the good desire, the Yetzer Hatov. And behold, it was very good, it refers to Yetzer Hara, right? What we translate here as evil desire. So this Midrash now, of course, asks, you know, um, how is this possible, right? So it only says very good after man was created with both the good and the bad inclination. So in all the other cases, it only says, says and God saw that it was good. So can then the evil desire be very good? Why, that would be extraordinary. How is that possible, the Midrash says. But the answer, but without evil desire, Yetzer Hara, however, no man would build a house, take a wife, beget children. And thus, said Solomon, again, I considered all labor and all excelling in work. That is a man's rivalry with his neighbor. That is, comes from Ecclesiastes. That that for, for us in the Midrash, that we have this space where this yetzer is actually not yetzer hara, the evil inclination, but I would say yetzer hara, the other inclination, the companion inclination, the sitra acha, the other side of things. That we can't negate it. That if we negate it and if we're all, we're just trying to be good and have no lust, no passion, no creativity, no darkness, no shadow in our life, Perhaps we would not build houses and take wives and beget children and, and all that. 
And that, of course, according to the Midrash, the very old Midrash, is not something we're striving for. We want to have a more integrated self. We want to have a space that is a lot more integrated between our higher selves and our what we call shadow self. And not in the sense of good and bad, but different parts of ourselves. Even in the Holy of Holies, in the day of Yom Kippur, for example, and I'm sure I'll talk about it again towards the high holidays, we find that we not only need to sacrifice to the good, but we have to acknowledge the dark self as well, even in the Holy of Holiest of moments. So when we do that, we sacrifice a goat um, to God and to um, for the atonement of the people of Israel. But parallel to that, at the same time, we also send uh, another goat, what we would call the scapegoat, but this goat goes to this place called Azazel, the other side. We have to, to sacrifice it to the shadow. We have to sacrifice it to the other side of it. And both of these, as they're moving in opposite direction, have to happen at the same time so that we acknowledge both the light, the higher self, the redemption, the repentance, but also the darker selves of ourselves, of God, of ritual, um, and of life altogether. So how do we engage in this shadow work? Um, I think it's important for us to really think about this um, as a practice of integration so that we can explore what we are going through so that we can find more spaces to um, examine our behaviors, examine our life, and like I said, sort of have more equanimity, more creativity, more power, more awareness. So there's a few things to consider as we're thinking about shadow work. Um, one, like I just said, is self-awareness. In order to start with the work, we must cultivate a way to self-reflect. Uh, we have to shift our mindset and create space to reflect and observe our behaviors, our thoughts, our feelings. The easiest and most accessible in my mind is mindfulness and mindfulness meditation to help foster a non-judgmental awareness, to be able to observe our thoughts and our feelings without holding on to them, without labeling them good or bad, without thinking about them, just looking at them and be able to observe, like if you're thinking about a, um, uh, a glass of seltzer, of soda water, and looking at the bubbles go up, um, just observing how they sort of float up and then sort of like burst into the air at the end, right? So there are plenty of great apps, of course, uh, and plenty of great teachers around mindfulness, not the least of which uh, at Chuva Center. So you can reach out and we have people, of course, that sort of we work with. Um, the other part I've spoken about this is to anchor your insight, right? Journaling. Journaling is key. A journal where you track, reflect, and anchor what you learn to think or go through allows us to make sure that the awareness that we have, the progress that we have, does not slip away. We have to write it down. Uh, it is a known uh, thing that I believe that the opposite of forgetting is not remembering. The opposite of forgetting is writing. Another part of this uh, practice, if you will, or, or things that we have to consider as we engage in shadow work is the importance of silence. So we have to find a place for silence um, and a practice of silence. Um, silence is a thing all in itself. Sort of silence is not the lack of something else, the lack of voices. Silence is a full-on entity by itself. And if you think about, again, if you think about Genesis and how we were talking about the creation of the world, when, uh, when Genesis starts, silence is already there. Um, silence is at the beginning of all things. It is, in fact, I think the space to be able to create anything. There is no creation without, without silence, without other space. 
Um, in silence, we can uh, think, we can absorb our contradictions, we can absorb attentions, we can be multiple things at the same time, which is, of course, part of the theme of this podcast always, which is right, tattoos and Torah, things that don't seemingly go with each other, different tensions, uh, having multiple feelings at the same time, being both sad and happy at the same time, or exhilarated and afraid at the same time, right? Silence can absorb all that. Silence is very important, and we all should have a practice of silence. Uh, Joseph Campbell teaches us that um, your sacred space is where you can find yourself again and again and again. And I think that silence, he also writes, you must have a room uh, or a certain hour or so a day where you don't know what is in the newspaper that morning. You don't know who your friends are. You don't know uh, who you owe anything to anybody. You don't know what anybody owes you. This is a place where you can simply experience and bring forth what you are and what you might be. This is the place of creative incubation. At first, you may find that nothing happens there, but if you have a sacred place like that and use it, something eventually will happen. Uh, and I could not agree more, of course, with Joseph Campbell. The other thing to think about is honesty. Honesty and integrity are the prerequisites of good shadow work, what we would call rigorous honesty. True self-honesty means to be willing to see all of ourselves, to be able to admit things to ourselves, to commit to truth. Yes, it is uncomfortable to come to terms with our own past sometimes, and of course it's, it's painful, the parts of ourselves that we are ashamed of, that we are guilty of, but seeing and accepting our insecurities uh, our ability to uh, understand our selfishness sometimes is essential. Because, and this is incredibly important, we all have those parts in us. We are all part of humanity. We all have the human condition. We all feel exactly the same way. We all have parts of ourselves that we are insecure about, that we feel guilty and ashamed of. We all have things that we don't want to face. We all have to really practice that truth, that rigorous honesty with ourselves. Honesty around this will help your shadow work and help heal the splits in our mind and in our soul. Without honesty, we can't move any forward. But with honesty, of course, has to come also compassion, or rather self-compassion, allowing ourselves to say it's okay, to love ourselves, to forgive ourselves. It is difficult to look at our darker stuff, of course, um, and we have to find a practice, have a practice to help us heal when we encounter those painful moments. Um, and there's different practices for, for different people, and it's important to find it, but it can only happen if we find also compassion for ourselves, love for ourselves, self-love. If you're hard on yourself when you make mistakes, it is difficult to confront your shadow. Um, and it's very difficult to be able to really do the work if you're not allowing yourself to also be okay. Um, and... And like many other things, in the journaling sheet that we have on our website, Recovery Journaling, there is a prayer that we've composed for self-forgiveness. Um, this is also where uh, breath work can be very, very useful. Um, I found that breath work can be very helpful for not just the self-compassion, but the ability to hold that space. Um, breath work has different uh, uh, techniques. Uh, one of my favorite is what's called box breathing. And box breathing is dividing the breath into four parts um, and counting to four in each part. So you inhale 
for four parts, you hold for four parts, you exhale for four parts, and you hold again for four parts. And if you want to do it now, we can do it together. So inhale, one, two, three, four, hold. One, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four, and then hold again. One, two, three, four, and repeat. When we do that, we trigger our uh, systems, our biological systems, to be able to start relaxing, to think about things, to be able to observe things um, around us. So on our way to a stronger recovery, uh, more meaning um, to find um, in our life, right? So like I would, I would suggest to find a spiritual counselor or a guide to help you through this work of your shadow work. Uh, where you can create more wholesomeness, more integration, uh, and have more of a robust um, way to actually look at yourself, look at your shadow work. Um, that way we can expand not just our awareness, our consciousness, but we can really find ways to be um, more helpful to ourselves and, and to others. Um, when we do that, when we're able to sort of look at these things, we... Um, we get to be better, and we get to feel better as well. Um, there are many um, ways to sort of to create this shadow process work, um, and I think the sort of um, when we engage in it, um, usually I would say with a guide, not just with the self, you are able to make some progress on things that perhaps you didn't have much progress before. If you want to engage in this, um, you have to find some exercises with that person to be able to either watch your emotional reactions or how you want to engage in sort of this inner dialogue, which is very important for shadow work, um, to challenge the different parts of yourself as you move through them, of course. Uh, it, it does have a few steps, and I think sort of you should consider how you want to encounter those steps, again, with whoever you're talking to, but you should choose somebody to work with. Uh, you have to sort of face um, how you want to look at the work uh, that you're going to do, sort of be able to open up about it. You have to, of course, going to have to talk about it. Uh, you're going to have to ask really difficult question of yourself um, and the other person uh, in front of you. You have to become part of this process. You have to take on some of these qualities um, that you want to be or change or, or have around you. Um, and then you, of course, have to then sort of kind of think about how you um, uh, understand them, what you notice about them. And the integration of those will allow you to have a much more robust understanding of how um, your life can be better because of, um, of the work that you do. When you do that with a person, you'll be able to be well on your way towards a more integrated self. And a more integrated self is, in fact, uh, not just a happier self, but a much more robust self, enable, um, able to um, deal with life and what life throws at you, to feel much stronger in our recovery and in our life. That's it for today. Thank you again for listening to us. I'm Rabbi Iggy out of the Chuva Center. Um, have a very good weekend. We'll see you again next week. As always, if you have any questions or comment about this, feel free to reach out to us. This podcast was recorded by Chuva Center. I want to thank our team, Ben Lichman, Grace Sheed, and Sadie Baker-Wax, who make this all possible and make sure that the guests and I sound as best we can. 
Thank you all for listening. Hug someone.